Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. We are spending some time this day thinking about offensiveness when we offend others and how to avoid that. And also when we are offended and what am I going to do? And that's tonight. What do I do when I am offended? Now, of course, we've already seen that this morning offensiveness deals with how I treat other people. And being offended is how I react to the way others treat me. So, as we think tonight about what to do when we have been offended, it's about learning how God wants us to react to people. And that's really an important lesson in life to learn. We can't get away from people. And the strangest creatures on the planet are people. That's just a fact. And there are times when people just get in your grill. And that's how people are. Uh, everywhere we turn, we're going to find people that cause trouble. There are people that we just can't match with. Uh, there are people that just cause all kinds of difficulties. How am I going to respond to that? So, for a few minutes, let's think about what God tells us about these ideas. Now, Summing up this morning and going into tonight, I think about Matthew 5, 23, and 24. What happens when I know that I have offended somebody? What happens when I know that I'm in a situation where I have failed and offended someone? Well, in this text... When you bring your gift to the altar, Jesus says, and you remember that your brother has ought, has a problem, has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. First, go be reconciled to your brother. Then come offer the sacrifice. Now, notice that the word is sin. The word is when you have done something to sin against somebody else and then you remember it, I really have not fixed this. I, I didn't mean to. I messed up. I caused a problem. And he is telling these people, and I think by our applying it to us, he says, you cannot even come before me with the worship of sacrifice until you're reconciled. So, I can't be a person who knowingly has sinned against somebody else and just move on and worship God and think that God will accept whatever I do because that cannot be. Now, notice he says, be reconciled. Well, Paul also would say later, Live peaceably with all men as much as lies with you. 
Jesus was not saying, obviously, when you have sinned against someone, you go and be reconciled, then you can come and worship. What happens if they don't want to be reconciled? Does that mean I can never worship until they do? Well, of course not. That's not the point. Because when I do my part, I have brought things together from my vantage point, everything that I can do, as much as lies with me, I have cleared the situation. But those people might want to be reconciled. So when I've done my part, even if it's not fixed, God says, now you can come and you can worship me. Let's move into, what do I do when I'm offended? Let me begin with thinking about and challenging us this way. Let us practice, let us pursue, let us try to be people who are not easily offended. The biggest but one of the biggest problems we have in our country right now is that everybody is walking around just waiting to be offended. They are. And they're looking for any cause and any reason to say, aha, gotcha now. Well, God's people should not be walking around waiting to be offended. It Acts 24 and verse 16. He said, I strive always to have a good conscience before God and before men without offense. I try not to have offense between people. I think he's saying I try not to offend. But I think he's also saying I try not to be offended. To the Philippians in chapter 1 in verse 10, he said, I want you to have this love for one another that you can have a life without offense before God. Yes, love people so that you won't offend them. But I think he's also saying, love people so that you won't be offended. Now, you've heard me say this many times. And some people are not sure that it's even possible. But I'm telling you, you cannot make me mad. It is impossible for you to make me mad. Now, like in any debate, whoever defines the terms wins the debate. And here are the terms that I want to define. Make me mad. What I mean is, when I'm mad... I choose it. You make it happen. That's what I mean. You can't make me mad because if I get mad, I chose to be. I chose to be. We need to be people who constantly are trying not to be offended. We don't want to, as we know the phrase, I don't want to wear my feelings on my sleeve. 
just daring somebody to knock it off. The Bible has much to say about this. Listen to these concepts. The Proverbs writer in chapter 19 and verse 11 said, The discretion of a good man controls his anger, and his glory is overlooking a transgression. How am I going to practice? How can I get to the point of not being offended? I need to be a slow burner. We can't really help the emotions that we have. God gave them to us. The emotions are not the issue. And it's not the issue that I get upset. In fact, I believe anger is a gift from God. And we should be. But we should be people who are slow burners. Now, you know some, and I do too, who are fast burners. You don't have to do much when they're ready to pounce. We need to learn to hold off. In fact, the glory of a man, according to the Proverbs writer, is to overlook a transgression. So if I can live my life not being offended, the more I can just overlook, the better off I'm going to be. Now we're going to talk about, we need to think about, well, what if the person has actually done something wrong? I mean, they're sin. Well, we'll deal with that. But you know what? I need to be a person who has the ability to overlook transgressions. Number two, learn to hold and maintain your composure. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 4, If the spirit of the king rises against you, hold your post. Because composure pacifies evil. The word composure is a word that means to hold ground. Stand there. If you have seen the documentary on the archaeological dig that has happened at Pompeii, surely you have been amazed at the people who covered by the ash and the lava flow were frozen in time. If you haven't seen it, I recommend you find it. I believe it was on Discovery Channel. Outstanding documentary. One of the most powerful was the soldier standing at the gate of Pompeii, the Roman soldier. And as the lava flow and the ash came, he was entombed standing at his post. That was powerful. That's exactly what this text says. You hold your position. You stand your post and pacify evil. Because if I can hold my composure together, then I have a real chance of putting salve 
if you will, on the situation. Proverbs 17 and verse 9. The Proverbs writer said, when you're in a situation where you might be offended, find your favorite blanket. Find your favorite blanket. The text says he wants you to cover the transgression. Proverbs 17, 9. If you cover a transgression, you are wise. You seek love. You are concerned about what is right. You really love if you cover a transgression. But he who spreads the matter seeks evil. When I might be offended and it appears maybe that that's where I'm headed, find your favorite blanket and just try to cover it up. Here's the point. If we can learn not to be so easily offended, then we very fewer, much fewer times, many fewer times, have to ask the question, so what do I do when I'm offended? Because it will come. There will be times when we will be offended. But if I can make it smaller and smaller and smaller, fewer and fewer, I can handle the situation. Most of the time, in fact, the vast majority of the time, people who get offended are people who are reacting not so much to sinful actions, but just to things where my ego, my reputation, my desires, things that I like and don't like, have somehow been abused. So when I say learn not to be offended, it's a matter of prioritizing. Is this something that's important just me? being selfish and wanting things my way and it's not my way, therefore I'm offended. But there are times when offense comes because of sin. Now that is the text of Matthew 18. In the text that was read, we know the situation. Jesus says... If your brother sins against you. Now, what Jesus is saying is, there now is reason to be offended. Have you, when was the last time or have you ever been offended? Because somebody disparaged God. When was the last time that you were offended? Because someone spoke an evil word about the church that Jesus died for. When were you last offended by an atheist who looked at you and called you crazy 
for believing something so stupid as a God. We might have been offended because somebody said, those clothes look ugly on you. Or that hat, what are you doing wearing that? Or you walk funny, you talk funny. And we get offended. But when was I last offended? Because somebody spoke against God. That's really what this passage is about. This passage is about Jesus talking to us when sin happens, when this really is a matter to consider. What does he say? Number one, you know it. You're not the one who did it, but you're offended by it. Now, I think by application, it's okay for us to think about these small things that get in the way, but it's really not about that. He's saying this, when your brother is in sin, we have a responsibility to go and talk to them between you and him alone. By doing that, I'm helping to protect him. Because I'm saying, let's get this worked out and get it over. Now certainly, it could rise to a situation where I have been abused in some way, in a sinful way, that's not like the big sins that we talk about, but rather somebody's been gossiping about you and you find out about it. That person's in trouble spiritually. You talk to them. Well, what if they don't want to listen? We'll find two or three more. Now, the proverb writer said, you don't spread it around, and that's not spreading it around. That's getting help. And so Jesus said, find two or three more who will go with you and act as witnesses. Notice, so that every word may be established. That word means so that every word will stand up under scrutiny. You said this, I did not. Yes, you did. I didn't say that. If you have two or three witnesses, they say, you said it. You did it. I'm a witness to it. They don't listen. Now it's time to tell the church. Jesus doesn't specify it this way, but here is my opinion. Because of what's going on in this text, where I am trying to deal with this person to protect them spiritually, to help them spiritually, this is not merely something that offends me and, and, and you have bothered me and you had a, you cocked your eye funny at me one time and, and therefore I thought you didn't like me. I'm talking about a situation where this person over here is in sin. Tell it to the church. My opinion is that that begins by going to the shepherds. That's where it begins. I don't think Jesus is saying, 
You've been to them one-on-one. You took two or three. Now they won't listen. So you stand up in the pulpit on Sunday and you tell everybody what's going on. I don't think that's what this text is about. It's about telling the church. But we're still trying to protect the spiritual person. We're trying to help the person. How better to do that than let the shepherds of their souls be involved? I also think it does good if those two or three witnesses that you took with you are not shepherds first. Because people get nervous. I just, I know that people do. I mean, how many times have the elders been in a meeting and there are people sitting out here and you go, ah, you're going in to see them, aren't you? Yeah. Okay. Three elders come knocking on your door. What are you going to do? It's going to be a little difficult. You're going to say, whoa, what's up? But I think at this point it's good to get those men involved. Because if those shepherds can protect the flock, this one sheep that's gone astray, now we bring that sheep back into the fold and people are none the wiser. But if those shepherds can't even do a job, they do have a responsibility. And their responsibility is to say, this person has been approached, this person is in sin, This person is not living the way God wants them to live. We've been involved with them. They are rebellious. And from now on, you treat them like a heathen and a tax collector. In other words, put distance between. I don't think he's saying hate them. I think what he's saying is, you make sure you understand that they are wrong. And they understand that you know that they are wrong. And you interact with them in a way to bring them back, not in a way to make them feel that you are approving of where they are. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 tells us, don't even eat with such a person. So if this person under the authority of the elders has been told, they refuse to repent. Treat them as a brother who is erring from the faith. It would be my responsibility not to call them and say, let's go to lunch and talk. It would be my responsibility to say, we need to have a conversation about your soul but not in a recreational atmosphere. Jesus says, when you are offended by your brother, particularly that offense is because they are offending God. They are offending their own spiritual well-being. This tells us how to do it. But I think It certainly, if it applies to something as serious as sin, certainly it would apply to these little things that just get in people's way. How many times have you heard, I'm just mad at so-and-so. Why? Because they looked at me funny and I just knew they were thinking something bad about me. 
And then that thing begins to go and grow and get bigger. And all of a sudden, that little pimple has turned into a full-blown ulcer. I think Matthew 18 is still a good way to handle it. Now, those are the technical things, the scriptural specific things that Jesus says. I think there are also some things just in a common sense way that we can do to deal with these things. Yeah, I'm supposed to go to them. Yes, I have a responsibility to talk to them and to bring others. And, but what is my attitude? What am I going to do? Well, look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Go to them, approach them with your hat in your hand, not your tongue in your cheek. In other words, as he said to the Philippians, I want you to do all things in sincerity and truth. When I approach someone in this scenario, I don't know if that's an old phrase or not. To those who are younger amongst us, approaching someone with a hat in your hand, does that even make sense to you? I don't know if it does. But it's an old phrase. It's an old phrase that goes back to when most men wore hats. And when you go to someone, have you seen it? If you ever watch the end of a, a golf match on television, when they finish, they take their hats off in order to shake hands. It's just a sign of respect. It's a sign of humility. I remember the uh, coach for the old Houston Oilers loved cowboy hats, but he would never wear his hat in the Astrodome because he grew up that when a man entered a building, he takes his hat off as a sign of respect. So he wore it at games with an outdoor stadium, but not an indoor stadium. With your hat in your hand, not your tongue in your cheek. Now you know what that means, right? I put my tongue in my cheek because I'm saying one thing, but I'm actually meaning something else. I'm not really saying what I'm thinking, because when you got your tongue on your cheek, what's happening? You're chewing on your tongue. You're holding it. You're not really being truthful. Paul said to the Philippians, when you approach someone, be sincere. If I'm offended and I want to approach somebody, I need to do it sincere. And I need to say what is real. Don't put on a show don't put on airs in front of the people. Just be real. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul said, We give no offense in anything that our ministry will not be blamed. And then in verse 7, By the word of truth, the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. When you go to somebody, 
in an offensive situation, you need to walk softly and carry a big stick. Paul said, because of my ministry, I don't want to be blamed for anything. Most of the time, the things that get in the way are the things, the ways in which we handle things more than the things we actually do in the handling. It's the attitude. It's the impression. It's how we approach. Walk softly. You carry the big stick of truth. They need to understand that we care, we're concerned, and I want to help, but I am not going to set the truth aside. I am not in any way going to say, all right, here is the truth of God, but I'm not going to do it anymore. Just to help you and make you feel better, I'm going to set it aside. No. I want to fix the situation, and I really want to help. Finally, Colossians chapter 4, Paul gave these ideas. Walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. When you and I go to talk to someone with whom we have a problem, I need to choose my words and avoid picking a fight. A lot of times... We're trying to win physically. A lot of times when, when, when we have a problem between individuals, we're trying to win. I'm trying to figuratively pin you like a wrestling match. To prove to you that I'm better and stronger and I, I'm the one in the right and you're the one in the wrong. But when I choose my words that are seasoned with salt, then I'm not there to pick a fight and to stir up more trouble and to cause more difficulty. You know what? We're always going to have in interpersonal relationship troubles, always. They're never going to cease. We're going to try to fix things the best we can. We're not going to be successful all the time. But I think the same thing applies where Paul said, he's the one who sowed the seed, but God gives the increase. If I take the seed, the word of God, the big stick from God, and I use it in those situations, God will give the increase. I don't want to get in the way of truth by a bad attitude, a poor approach, something that causes something to stumble as this morning, kicking the rock as I hope 
that we as a church will be people who try as hard as we can not to offend, not to be offended. But when we are offended because of sin, to handle it in a way that saves their soul. That's the goal. Not for me to win my point. Jesus knew that people would be offended by him. But so did he do. He just laid down his life. John 3 says, when I am raised up, I'll draw all men to myself. He made sure that he did the best he could do not to be offensive, not to throw something in the path that would cause them to stumble, but rather to give them a reason to give him a chance. And that's what sacrifice is all about. I hope these thoughts will help us in our interpersonal relationships in times of offense. God, He'll take you back. He'll listen. He'll respond to repentance. If the offense of sin stands between you and Him, immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins removes it. Our shepherds want to help as we stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.